This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MLB.com. Joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today's a pretty special show for us because we're excited to be joined by a friend and colleague who you may have seen around the news lately, but we're joined by Joe Martinez, who pitched parts of four seasons in the major leagues, but more importantly right now, is MLB's Vice President of On-Field Strategy. And what he's been doing is he's been kind of going around and telling everybody about the new rule changes. He's explained it to the media, probably explained it to the players, and uh, Matt and I just have so many questions for Joe about how you explain all this to people who made a career out of playing baseball under different rules. So first of all, Joe, thanks for being here. What has your last like two or three weeks been like just talking about this constantly to everybody? We're so close to it actually being here. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind, but kind of went on a, on a tour there. We had presentations to the media, both in Arizona and Florida, you know, before the commissioner was there and doing his press conference, you know, just to kind of tell them about the rules as well as walk them through some on-field demonstrations of how to understand the rules, some of the different bits and pieces of them. Um, and I think that was helpful. And we got some good feedback. So so that's been great. And then otherwise, you know, really focused on making sure that that the clubs feel ready, the players, the staff. We've seen the uh, media presentations, but has someone, whether it's yourself or, or somebody else in the staff, gone into like each of the 30 major league clubhouses and said, listen, this is how it's going to work? Like if the players had that kind of face-to-face conversation? Not face-to-face. You know, we, when I say we, it was Theo Epstein, Morgan Soar, Reed McPhail, and I presented to the major league field managers during the winter meetings, a pretty detailed overview of these new rules. And then after those meetings, we offered to have one-on-one calls and, and Zoom meetings with uh, each individual club to, to go into it, go in, go over it again, and then also take you know, more specific questions, particularly those that maybe clubs didn't want to tip their hand to another one, right? And, and ask questions about you know how they're thinking strategically um, with respect to these rules. So had several follow-up calls, you know, like that. And, you know, we'll continue to work with them. And, and as there are questions, you know, we try to be available for those and make sure everybody has what they need. Without giving away anyone's secrets, since you just kind of mentioned it, were there things clubs asked, like certain clubs where you're like, oh my God, these guys have a great idea that nobody else has? I don't think so, right? We, we tested these rules in, in something like 8,000 minor league games. So, uh, and I think I watched at least one every night for, for the last, you know, year or two. Um, so, you know, you see things pop up, um, you know, as we ran into uh, a player or a team that had a specific idea of how to kind of lessen the impact of the rule or circumvent it in, in a minor way. I think we tried to address those loopholes as much as we could. But I think it, for the most part, they're just trying to figure out how to continue playing baseball, be effective. Um, and win games, you know, within the framework uh, that is created by these new rules. Speaking of, you know, loopholes, Joe, I think one of the things I've wondered about, I think, is you said you've watched a lot of minor league games. I'm curious about teams trying this sort of two-man outfield, essentially putting someone in short right field. 
Is that something you saw minor league teams try or something that you think you're, we're, we're, we're going to see? Or do we expect really a true return to tra- quote-unquote traditional alignments? It's a little bit harder to say from minor league testing, right? Because there's just not that much shifting in the minor leagues. You know, the focus being on player development and not on like optimal positioning and winning games. Well, not as much on winning games, right? You still want to win in the minor leagues, but it's not the primary focus. So I think, you know, that is probably the one rule that doesn't translate quite as well. We didn't see uh, two-man outfields. As I hadn't seen any two-man outfields. I know it's been an idea that's been thrown around. You know, my thought on that, and Mike probably knows the, the numbers better than, than I do, but, you know, the, the the shift, you know, as we know it, previous, you know, 2021 and, and before that, was really predicated upon being willing to give up a base hit, but positioning your players in a way that you're going to get outs more frequently, where guys are more likely to hit the ball, even where they hit it hard sometimes, right? Like putting a third baseman in, in short right field. Now, if you take away an outfielder, and say the left fielder goes and runs over to short right field, now a miss hit ball is an extra base hit, right? So um, you're you're exposing yourself to risk that probably wasn't there, you know, before the shift restrictions were in place. So I'd be interested to see what clubs do. Um, I'm not saying that it's not going to happen, but I think it's a, it's a little bit of a different calculation on their parts. Now, Joe, you mentioned getting feedback after doing these demonstrations in Arizona and Florida. Is there any feedback you've gotten that kind of surprised you or something that was maybe a little bit louder um, than, than expected in terms of what you were hearing from from media or, or fans for that matter? I don't, I don't think so, honestly. You know, I think I've been surprised at how favorably a lot of this has been received by, you know, members of the media and even the, the players and, 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 you know, staff members and, and clubs in general. You know, again, after having used this in like 8,000 games, right, I think we, we've run across a lot of questions and, and kind of some varied feedback. So it's not all that surprising, you know, both on both sides. I just say it's definitely skewed more positive maybe than I thought it would. And people seem excited to see how it goes and, and get to playing baseball, which is great. I'm going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more questions for Joe Martinez. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back on the MLB.com ballpark dimensions podcast, Mike Petrillo and Matt Myers. And we are talking to Joe Martinez, MLB's vice president of on-field strategy uh, about all the rule changes and about rolling this out. And it's just really interesting to see everybody's feedback. Joe, you were a pitcher, obviously. So you come at this from a a pretty interesting point of view that you've got this on-field experience that I don't have and Matt doesn't have and the commissioner doesn't have, like you've pitched. Uh, And that kind of leads me to a couple questions. First, what was Joe Martinez like as a pitcher in terms of fast, slow? Like what would the pitch timer have done to you? 
when you're on the mound? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't want to go into Joe Martinez as a pitcher, uh, like skill set all that much, but um, um, that's why I'm working here. I guess I wasn't quite good enough, but uh, you know, I, I think at times I worked pretty quickly. Um, I wasn't a power guy, so my goal usually was to keep the game moving and hopefully get us back in the dugout as quickly as possible. I don't think I was always particularly fast. You know, one thing I think that pitchers may benefit from um, being forced to move at a little bit quicker pace is you can kind of get out of your own head, right? Sometimes you're left up there by yourself and you start thinking negative thoughts and, and you slow down too much, right? And that anxiety kind of starts to, <laughs> starts to kind of uh, take root. Um, but if you're forced to keep moving and stay focused on kind of that next pitch, getting on the mound, you know, getting on the rubber, getting your sign, you know, delivering the pitch, you know, it may help you kind of clear some of those bad thoughts out and, and just continue continuously focus on, on what you need to do and then the task at hand. I'm glad you brought that up. Matt and I were talking about this the other day in regards to Max Scherzer. And we were saying to ourselves, here's a guy who's a living legend. He's been around forever. You know, he hasn't been in the minor leagues in like 20 years. He's going to be very set in his ways. He's probably going to hate this. And there was a really interesting quote from him that I don't know if you saw where he's like, uh, this plays right into my hand. Like, I've always wanted to work quickly. I think this is going to give me an advantage over the batter if you if you work it appropriately. And we both found that fascinating because it's the exact opposite of what you thought. And, but of course, here's Max Scherzer saying, I'm going to weaponize this new role in my favor, which is cool. And I, I'm wondering if you've heard any other pitchers talk about it that way, or are most of them kind of viewing it as, this is something I have to work around instead of with? More of the feedback, I think, has just been about kind of re- learning some habits or, um, you know, going through some thought processes a little bit quicker. I mean, one, Max Scherzer says he's going to do something. I probably wouldn't doubt him. Uh, I don't, you know, I think we he's proven time and again that what he says usually he carries through with. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what he does, how pitchers try to use this maybe to their benefit. I think there definitely is something about staying on the hitter and picking up the pace you know, I know Max said something about like holding the ball longer before delivering a pitch, you know, especially after batters used his timeout. I know as a pitcher, it's tough to come set and hold the ball for a long period of time before delivering a pitch, but guys who are disciplined and can do it, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how they, uh, how they do that and, and kind of the gamesmanship that's going to arise from, you know, these new rules being in place. You last pitched the majors in 2013, and there's actually a fair amount of players from 2013 who are still active. In fact, Mike informed me this morning that the last batter you retired in your career was Miguel Cabrera, who is still is still playing. So I guess my question for you is like, have you had, are you still in touch, like just on a personal level with some of the guys who are still active? And have you had conversations with them and gotten, gotten feedback from some of the, the players that, that you played against? Yeah, a few. Um, you know, it's when you're kind of, part of that fraternity. I think you're kind of always part of it a little bit, you know, so, and I have some good friends uh, that are still playing. So, you know, bounce some of this stuff off them, even when we were creating some of these rules, right. Getting their opinion. What do you think? Uh, how would you react to this? You know, stuff like that. And it is helpful. Most of the pitchers like I, that I've talked to are confident that they're going to be able to handle it, especially early on. Some of the hitters are worried that they're going to have to move at a much faster pace to get in the box, right. And get ready. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, the adjustment period, hopefully we're going to get over that, you know, during spring training, you know, th these guys are really good athletes. If they weren't very confident in their abilities, they wouldn't be in the major leagues. Um, and I think they're all pretty confident they're going to be able to handle it and still, you know, uh, succeed. I don't want to skip over that last part that Matt just said. The, the last guy you faced in your career wasn't just Miguel Cabrera. It was triple crown winning second year of his MVP winning Miguel Cabrera. And you got him out 
And obviously at the time you couldn't have known that was going to be the last appearance, but that's an incredibly cool way to go out on a career. What do you, do you remember what you did, like what you threw him? Yeah. Um, so I faced him twice in that, in that game. So a couple of things about the game. I came in in the, like, I think I pitched like the seventh, eighth, and ninth, or maybe just the eighth and ninth. I don't remember. But Rick Porcello had started the game for the Tigers and we actually went to the same high school and we used to train together in the off seasons. So that was kind of a fun part of that. I got Miguel Cabrera out twice that game. The first uh, time he hit a missile right at as Drupal Cabrera at shortstop. Um, and I remember because I threw an inside fastball and he hit it like that. It, I think it was the last out of that inning. And I asked Cabby, hey, was that a bad pitch? He goes, I don't think so. It's a pretty good hitter. And I was like, yeah, it's a pretty good hitter. <laughs> um, and then that last at bat, I'm pretty sure he flew out to left field on a cutter, kind of up and away. And uh, I don't think it was a great pitch and he didn't miss it by much. And he didn't miss many pitches that, that year. So I think I got kind of lucky there. I wish we had video of this, by the way. I went back and I tried to find it, but it's like too many years ago and I couldn't pull it. I just think that's that's the coolest thing. I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, you, your career ended, obviously. Uh, and as far as I was reading, you went and worked in finance for a while at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And then um, Chris Young, right before he left for the Rangers, brought you on an MLB. And what, what has that career transition been like for you? Yeah, I think I always had an eye on getting back in, in baseball at some point. My time at PwC was was extremely valuable, I think, because it taught me how to be an actual uh, contributing member of an organization and like having a real job. Right. You know, I, I went to, I, I graduated from college and, and I, I'm lucky to have my education, but I spent you know 10 years playing baseball. So I wasn't working in PowerPoint or building models in Excel or, you know, so I had none of that experience. Um, so I had to really relearn all of that. So the transition back to baseball has been great. You know, I, I stayed a fan even after playing. So I continued to watch and, and you know, speak to, to friends and, and guys who are still playing. So I think combining that knowledge with now some like professional experience and, and knowing how to be, like I say, contributing member of an organization that way has given me some really good background to, to hopefully be successful in this role. Now you joined MLB like roughly two years ago, right before the 2021 season, as far as I can, as far as my, my research shows, um, when you were brought on, was it specifically for the new rules? Did you know like, Hey, we're bringing you on. We, cause you we were hired around the same time as I think Rajah Davis and like a couple other former players. So like, was it specifically like, Hey, we're bringing new rules and we want these guys to kind of help formulate and maybe kind of sell them to the players or like, how were you brought on? Yeah. I, you know, I, I was hired by CY before he left. Actually, we never got to work together. He left right before I, I started. I pitched it to him as, as being like his chief of staff. Uh, I don't, I obviously that didn't actually end up happening, but he played a lot more in the big leagues, but similar profile, right? Guy who graduated college, played major leagues. Um, you know, we were very, we saw eye to eye on a lot of things related to baseball. So that's how I thought it was going to work. You know, once he left, I think, the, the, the department and, and Morgan Sword kind of shuffled the deck a little bit and reorganized things and, and saw me fitting into this role. And I think it's worked out really well. You know, I, I work with and, and for a guy named Reed McVale, who's a brilliant guy. And, you know, being paired with him, I think has been great because we probably complement each other in many ways. And, you know, to be fair, no one ever asked me, Rajay, Gregor, or Danny Otero, or Ro, anybody to sell any of these rules. You know, so I, I, that was never like a, you know, a remit, like, hey, you got to go out there and convince people these are great. You know, we think they stink. We'll tell them that, that they stink. Uh, but, you know, I think once you get in, in the ballpark and you actually see them in place, you realize that there's there's some value here and it's worthwhile. In helping develop the new rules and, and going through the, the experiments, like how much of a how much input did you have in sort of making suggestions? And is there anything that like you suggested that you feel like ended up 
carrying the day and is now like we're going to see see in front of us in, in 2023. Yeah, I had, a, I had a ton of input. You know, I was I part authored these regulations, right? So it was uh, my my pen is actually involved in this, which is interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of conversation. It's hard almost to go back to like saying one thing, you know, carried the day and, and made a difference. Um, there's some other areas where we're still discussing, you know, and, and testing that I feel strongly about as well. But you know, that I would say the pitch timer I was a little bit worried about initially, right? I, I like like you guys talked about. I didn't I didn't play with a clock, you know, not till I saw it actually in a game. And was it, you know, sitting in the stands in a ballpark that I realized that there was really something here. So, you know, I think I've had to actually come off of some of my probably previously held beliefs um, and come around to, to kind of, you know, where we are today. I'm going to take one more quick break and we'll be back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petrio and Matt Myers were here with Joe Martinez. Joe, one thing I found really interesting about the way that the rules are rolling out is uh, a lot of this has been tested in the minors over the last couple of years. And many of the rules were tested like one per time in a league, like this league is testing this and this league is testing that. And obviously that's not going to happen in the majors. It's all going to happen at once. And my initial reaction to that was it's kind of a tough way to isolate what worked and what didn't. And then the more I thought about these rules, it kind of feels like they all have to be there in conjunction, right? Like the pitch timer is not going to work without the pickoff limitation, the shift ban or limitation. You could do it without, but then if you have the pitch timer, there's just not time for these guys to run out to short right field. Like, was that the thinking behind trying to do it all at once and not staggered? Well, the, you know, the disengagement limit or the pickoff limit, you know, whatever you want to call it, was always part of, of this pitch timer rule and really incorporated because it closed that giant loophole, you know, that we talked about. So. Um, they, that always went together, right? I don't think we could have done this pitch timer while, you know, leaving that big loophole still open. The the shift restrictions, I don't think, you know, we felt like we needed to do them together. Um, it's just kind of how the opportunity presented itself and how all of this unfolded. And, you know, in meetings with the Joint Competition Committee, you know, as well as, you know, internally, um, you know, that's, I think, just kind of how it unraveled and, and lined up. So, I mean, it is a good point. Even if you could still shift, the clock's not going to stop for you to run across the field and grab a new glove or whatever you need to do. So, you know, it, it maybe simplifies things in a way, which is nice. We've spent a lot of time talking about the clock, the pitch timer, and the shift restrictions. We've not really touched on the, the bigger bases, which I think is probably like the least, probably getting the least attention because it's probably going to affect the game the least from, from a fan perspective. Though I think that one part about it that's confusing to people, and maybe you can walk our listeners through this, is the idea that, the distance between the bases is going to be a little closer, but the 90 feet has not changed. And that's like a hard thing for people to wrap their head around. So like, if you can kind of walk through that, cause I'm, I think I get it, but I maybe could use your, your words to, to explain it better. Yeah. I, I didn't know actually how the bases were laid out on a field until we started doing this. Um, but 90 feet is measured from the tip of home plate to the back corner, right? So the corner nearest kind of 
uh, right field, right, of first base on the foul line. So that's 90 feet, not to the front of the base, which I think, you know, other people may think it's measured that way. And then to second base, where that 90 foot, uh, you know, diamond where the point meets at the top is actually at the middle of second base. For some reason, I don't know why, but that's just the way the bases are laid out. So if you take, you know, that same alignment and you just make the bases three inches bigger on each side, that means that first base is three inches closer to home plate than, it, you know, the front of it than it was previously, even though that 90 foot measurement is maintained to the back of the base. And then, uh, you know, again, you're going to shorten the distance between second and first and between second and third as well. So, you know, hopefully it's a nuanced way, you know, to encourage some, some more aggressiveness on the base paths, you know, maybe it kind of like shifts the, the math, uh, you know, encouraging those super smart people in the front offices to, to get their players to run a little bit more or to take some more chances because the, you know, um, the risk of being thrown out is, is decreased. But it, you have to be mindful also, right? The bases get closer to each other, but they also get a little bit closer to the catcher. So, you know, it's not going to be, you know, a complete benefit just to the base runner. So there will be, you know, a netting effect of some sort. We, we joke that people get all angsty about that when it's like, did you know where the bases were measured from in the first place before a year ago? Because I actually didn't. <laughs> Matt didn't. <laughs> I don't think you did. So it's funny because it's like, you think you have these things handed down on stone tablets and it's like, yeah, it never was exactly what you thought it was in the first place. So I'm curious now, you've spent all this time over the last year or two, like you said, you had a hand in authoring these rules. Uh, you've certainly played a prominent role in explaining them and getting them out there. What is next? Like, what's the next project? Are there more rules? Are there more on-field improvements? Like, how are you How are you going to spend your time over the next six months? Yeah, so I think that this next season, you know, is primarily going to be focused on making sure that the new rules in the major leagues go well. Right. And one thing that we are probably most confident of is that we didn't get everything 100% correct. Right. There are likely going to have to be some tweaks, hopefully very minor ones, but, um, you know, making sure that happens. And some of our, you know, testing efforts in the minor leagues are going to be done with that in mind. Right. Maybe as we did last year, right. Staying with 14 and 19 instead of 15 and 20, which it'll be in the big leagues, right? To see if we if we do want to make those changes, we have at least some some testing and some data um, to off which to make those decisions. You know, I think as far as things beyond what we're using in the major leagues this year, um, I'm sure everyone's familiar with with the automated ball strike system, right? ABS or what is I think somewhat affectionately, I guess depends on your perspective, known as Robo Ump. But, you know, that's that's something also um, this year in the minor leagues, we are going to continue testing and taking a hard look at and trying to determine kind of what's the best application, format, construction of the strike zone, you know, all of those things, you know, as that continues to, you know, progress towards potential use in the major leagues. Um, however, you know, decisions to be made all over the place with that one. How do you define success? Like you said, we're going to be seeing if it works or not works. Is it you know, batting average went up by X points or time of game went down by X minutes. Like what is the metric that you look at to say, yeah, this one worked and this one, not so much. That's, I think that's a difficult thing to say. I don't know if it's as simple as just one metric. I mean, I think for the pitch timer, right. If we see average game time come down, um, fairly significantly that that's definitely something that'll be good. Um, however, you know, you don't want that to, happen at the expense of, of game play and action, right? Um, you know, what we saw in the minor leagues was like a 25 minute, I believe, reduction in, in average game time. But if you look at the other kind of run environment uh, metrics, like 
there wasn't a whole, whole, whole lot of change from 21 to 22. So um, a similar, you know, experience or result in the major leagues would be great. You know, for the shift restrictions, you know, some of it is going to be BABIP. I mean, you can dig a little bit deeper into that, right? Left-handed hitters, left-handed ground balls, you know, what, you know, whatever it is, you know, and I think probably more than anything, it's going to be the fan reaction, right? If the fans say that they like this version of baseball, and if they say they like it even better than, you know, the 2021 version of baseball, you know, I think that's probably the best metric or, or the best way we can kind of evaluate whether or not this was a success. Last question, Joe, you know, along those lines, you know, I've spent a lot of the last couple months, you know, when I talk to friends and family who are casual fans, they ask me about the new rules and I try to kind of trying to explain them. And I think, you know, generally speaking, the goal is to improve the fan experience, right? Like we want to improve the product, make it a better viewing experience. And it's, you know, I kind of try and give my pitch. What is like your elevator pitch? Like when you try and explain this to people of like why this is going to be good for the game and maybe our listeners can, can carry this forward and kind of help sell some more casual fans on why they should get out to more games this year and rethink how they think about baseball. Yeah. You know, I think with all of these, it, it sounds, it seems progressive because it's introducing new things to the game. But if by introducing these new things, we actually get back to a product that looks a lot more like baseball in the eighties and nineties, you know, I think that's a good thing, right? Less dead time, less standing around, less time between balls and play you know, th- those are all going to be benefits. And then from like the experience of a fan going to the ballpark, I'm a father, I have three kids. If I can go to a, you know, a, a 630 start and still get home, you know, in time to put my kids to bed and potentially get them up for school the next day, like that's great. Right. Because if it's a four hour game and it's nine o'clock, like we're probably gonna have to leave in the six or seven. But if you, uh, you know, can reasonably expect that that game to be over by, by nine o'clock, like there's a lot better chance you're gonna be able to see it all the way to the end. And, you know, if, if fans say that they like them, they're able to do those types of things. I think that would be great. Yeah, between us, Matt and I have four children under eight years old. So I can tell you that we 100% uh, can commiserate with that. Uh, Joe, thanks so much. This has been really interesting. I, I can tell you that I have not been as excited for a baseball season as I am in quite some time just to see if these things work. And even if they don't, it'll be interesting to say, well, we, we tried. And I, I'm confident, you know, just for speaking to you and everybody else, how much effort has been put into testing it, making sure that it's being done up for all the right reasons. So I can't wait to see what happens with it. Thanks again for your time. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.